Welcome back, fatties. I guess that's sticking, and I'm I'm actually week after week I'm getting more into it. I like it. The Fubies Ketchup is back, and everyone who shared last week's episode on your Instagram stories, I do see you, and I'll be reading your shoutouts after the Fubies roar at the end of this episode. And I'm fairly certain this is the best episode of the Ketchup we've ever recorded. Even though we're starting recording it right now. High hopes. High hopes. <laughs> you know, you you just got to go after your dreams. You know? <laughs> this is my dream for the best podcast episode ever. But first, coffee. That's the trademark slogan from our guest today, the founder of LA Born, Alfred Coffee. And Alfred T, the iconic logo you guys have seen around LA is this big giant A with the antler ears coming off it. The most LA of LA coffee shops. They're bred from an Instagram culture. The home of the hashtag $10 latte, the Alfred cone, which is this really awesome little edible chocolate waffle shot cone for your espresso shots. And most recently, though, in jest, uh, they banned NBA's sweetheart, Kawhi Leonard, from all 16 Alfred locations in LA, Austin, and Japan. Outside of the coffee empire he's building, Josh Zad has also started a Mexican-style beer company called Calidad, which has investors and partners like the founder of MeUndies, the founders of Sweet Green, and Major League Baseball player Adrian Gonzalez. Go Dodgers. Go, go Doyers. Uh, so you're a busy dude, Mr. Josh Zad, but welcome to the catch-up. Thank you for having me, gentlemen. Welcome to the catch-up. Introducing your hosts, Eli Aruth, editor-in-chief, and Jeffrey Kutnick, CEO, and apparently the only guy who takes this podcast seriously, of the craziest, most bestest, news-breaking, food-porn-peddling, viral website on the dot-coms, It's crazy when your future is decided by an algorithm. Dude, this pizza is fucking crazy. There's not one person in this entire world that believes you. All right. And welcome to the catch-up. What's what's Alfred's Coffee's elevator pitch? (laughs) We are a third-wave coffee shop that was started kind of as an anti-third-wave third wave coffee shop (laughs) in that we started seven almost seven years ago and at the time all the other you know specialty coffee shops that were opening around los angeles and everywhere were hyper focused on the craft of coffee right this is the farm we have a relationship with this is the way we're going to serve the coffee to you it's going to take 10 minutes it's a pour over hand done wait in line and everything else in those coffee shops had kind of taking a back seat, like design, decor, warmth. It was all about the coffee. <laughs> I get that on the warmth side. <laughs> yeah. Every time I step into a brand new coffee shop, and a lot of them too in the third wave have great design as well. Yep. But I, in some places, I've never had a colder customer interaction experience. And I'm like, even if this is the best coffee in the world, and I'm not a coffee connoisseur, and, and listeners of this podcast know that already, but I still drink coffee and again, some yeah, some of those coldest interactions have been in these third wave coffee shops that you're describing, Jeff. Yeah. So for us, it was how can we make the experience on the other side of the bar much more friendly, inviting, wanting to come back. But we also serve a great cup of coffee, but we're not going to sit there and talk about the coffee or the process. <laughs> barely, if anything, you know, you're just going to trust us and we'll guide you through it. Thank you, because I love coffee. I just don't know anything about it. 
and frankly, I don't, I don't care that deeply about it. I just enjoy the, the ritual of coffee and I enjoy everything around it. So what were you doing before Alfred's opened up? I was working in real estate um, in that area, uh, developing projects, mostly retail. Okay. Um, not really homes or anything. So I came from a di very different background, uh, but I was touching on design a lot on the real estate side of things. So that was kind of my approach. How'd you get into real estate? Is it like a, a family thing? Is it, what's, what's the move? It's a family thing. Okay. Um, all roads in my family uh, lead to real estate. So <laughs> even though my, my studies and my upbringing had really no relation to, to, to real estate at all, it's where I ended up. So, okay. so, so why coffee then? Um, well, really for me, it was about, I had a design niche. I really wanted to create like a, a community center, a place to hang out. And it, it fit into the real estate that I was doing at the time. Um, in this this sleepy, stretchy block of uh, L.A. called Melrose Place. <laughs> a lot of great retailers, high-end retailers like the Marc Jacobs of the world, um, but nowhere for people to stop and grab a coffee or enjoy, like, you know, the street for $5. You had to spend $1,000 <laughs> to kind of <laughs> to interact with the street. So I saw a great opportunity there. Um, and first I wanted to open a bar, but I'm like, do I really want to be liable till 2 in the morning every night? This yeah. is, like, not going to be conducive to my... You know, my life overall restaurant also seemed pretty stressful. Coffee was like the, the compromise, the simplest way to get into food and beverage and create community and not have to be open past seven, which was huge. So it opened in one of the buildings that you guys were working on or what, 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 why that location? Well, the, the location itself was majority basement space. <laughs> so you walked in uh -huh. and you went downstairs and the, 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 the main part of the cafe was underground, which was very difficult for people to lease because we're, the rents they were asking were pretty high. Um, it was kind of a forgotten space, right? If you're in, I think, London or even New York, you can get away with it. But Los Angeles, California, you want street level or you're done. Sure. You know, even second floor is, is a tough sell here. So kind of a forgotten space. And, you know, I saw a, little, a lot of charm in like the concrete that you mm -hmm. were seeing too, because it was underground and the exposure there, I thought I could draw a different vibe than, like I said, other third wave coffee shops that yeah. were in like a new developments and crispy clean boxes. Putting it on Melrose Place, does that affect what the coffee shop brand was going to be long-term because it had to fit Melrose. the street, Melrose, Melrose, or was that like not a full consideration? I'm curious, because the, the brand is very well developed and I'm just curious how much Melrose had that effect being next to, you know, the, the shops that you were describing. Yeah, I mean, Melrose Place, for those who visited it by now, that street is very elevated, right? So we wanted to kind of create that greater experience, something that could stand amongst all the other retailers on the street. Um, and, you know, it's, it's funny because when I first built it, I, was, I built it on a budget, no idea. What I was doing so it was like let me just build this so at least last six months or like a year and then I could if it doesn't work out I can just unload it on somebody else sell it to them <laughs> but I built it so poorly in so many ways but that's kind of the charm of it and it's like every year I have to remodel something because it just it wasn't built to, to sustain be it <laughs> yeah. yeah it was it was built on a, on a one-year horizon you know and we're you know, going on our seventh year now so a lot of a uh, lot of a lot of work had to go into it so so you were working with your family already on the real estate side. What did they say when you're like, you know what, I'm going to do, a, I'm going to open up a little coffee shop. Were they like, you stupid kid? Or well, what are they saying? They're like, 
we'll see you in six months. <laughs> so like, cool idea, but you know, you'll be back in the real estate in a little bit. So, also, because you you had to genuinely part ways with the real estate for a little bit to be able to focus on this, or I didn't in the beginning, okay, because I was hedging my bets, right? Mm -hmm. Like, like solid job, and here's this concept, yeah, that could or could not take off, and if it did take off, like it's just a one coffee shop, yeah. So, you know, um. So I hedged my bets by kind of working both for a couple years, really, mm -hmm. until I opened my second and third location within a couple months of each other. And then I was like, you know what? I'm all in on the coffee shop thing. So, I mean, before even the first one opens up, what do you see as the, because you mentioned just now, like, it's one coffee shop and you hadn't worked in coffee before. Did you understand the gravity of if one works, you'd go on to two or were you just like, you know, this is literally six months and no one's, no one's moved into this space. So I'm going to do something with it. Yeah. I mean, I've come to the realization more recently. I mean, this is who I am, but I've verbalized it that I'm a, I'm not a huge future person. I'm like a today and tomorrow. Like I, I can, I can foresee myself getting through tomorrow and handling what I got to do. But if you ask me my five-year plan with Alfred at the time, or even right now, it's not so clear to me. And it's sure. just, it's just who I am. Um, I like it. So for me, it was just head down. Like, let me just open this and see what happens. There was no game plan for two or th for sure for two or three or more of, of the cafe, which I think helps me in a lot of ways because I don't get stressed out because it's already very stressful. So if I can just stress out on today's needs and, and the immediate requirements of getting this thing off the ground and making it as great as I can today without the pressure of tomorrow and Beyond that, I think it's it's pretty helpful. Because you weren't necessarily, because you were hedging and then you weren't, um, you know, particularly looking past the one year horizon as you described, does that mean, were you even looking at other third wave coffee shops in LA to kind of see where the competition was? Or were you just like, this is the space, head down, I'm gonna make it into what it is and didn't worry a whole lot about the place a mile from you or a block from you or in the same neighborhood. So to answer that, two funny things happened, right? Early on when I was opening a, a, a cafe or people knew that I was opening a cafe, they would know that I'm traveling somewhere, send me a list of coffee shops to go to. But early on, I realized I get very jealous and very, I get even more confused. You know, I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, oh my God, their cups, where do they get their cups from? And then I'm like, you know, look at this condiment station and has a recycling and compost and regular trash. And I'm like, I, I haven't done that. I get so stressed out. And then I just decided I'm not going to go to any other coffee shops because it's just going to make me upset and, je <laughs> and mostly just jealous of the operational like know-how that they have. Number two, um, this other phenomenon that happened was people telling me or my family mostly telling me to reach out to or, or putting me in contact with friends or family they had in cafe business or restaurant business. And it's like, you should talk to so-and-so or like, you know, here's their, I told them you're going to call, here's their phone number. And I'm like, I don't want to call anybody. <laughs> <laughs> well, because what happens is like, you know, they, they do it a certain way. So you talk to somebody who's been in this business for, you know, five years or 30 years, and this is the way you should do it. And you should hire from here and get this person from there and do this. I know this great person you should hire. And then all of a sudden you're off track and you're doing it somebody else's way. But what I realized by doing this and even with the beer company is, there's no really right way. You can do it your way. It might be different. It might be unconventional, but you got to do it your way, you know? 
I love that. And I lo- that's such a different take than a lot of people yeah. like go get get a lot of that and that anxiety that that you're talking about about going and seeing a competitor. I get the same way cuz it's like crippling like Never. oh they did this and and do that like well, especially when you're like this shit is tight. <laughs> yeah, you're like oh and you're genuinely like, oh this is good. Yeah, this, this is, is this is really like what do I have to do? What do I have to map out in my brain to be able to even start thinking about the things that they're doing is an overwhelming feeling. I think yeah. For the average human, maybe not everyone, but the average human. Like if I go into another media company's office, I'm like, I try not to do it as often because I'm like, oh shit, they have like, these are glass walls and there's this person has a, de- should I have a huge office like this guy? Is that a good intimidation factor? And then I come back here and I'm like, oh yeah, this is our way, right? And I, for, you know, and I appreciate you kind of owning that and the day by day mentality. Not everything has to be so planned out. And that's probably why you now in seven years have 16 locations that's a it's, huge, it's incredible that's incredible huge. Growth. that's amazing and who knows if you had listened to the one person that your parents put you in touch with maybe they led you down a path where you only have one location or two or have folded you know what i mean so congratulations on that but now i need to hear it's fun having 16 locations what did day one look like when at alfred's coffee day one january 23rd 2013 looked like me working the entire 12 hours that were open, um, which is fine. And I loved it behind the register, um, having maybe 12 cups of coffee. So caffeine, like just blowing my brains out with caffeine (laughs) and realizing within one hour that we were understaffed um, and we needed more pastries. So I actually sent someone to go buy pastries from a, neighboring bakery or cafe at the time um a lot of issues but of course i had to be on register all day because we're understaffed so you're understaffed on day one did you have a line what's going on no we just we we weren't prepared like the rest of the week i looked at the horizon of like the people that we had coming in and like you know two people was not enough on shift because what if someone had to go to the restroom Mm. or had to take a break yeah um then just one person is taking order making coffee washing dishes doesn't work that way yeah so i realized the day one, like we just need more people here, you know? So I spent that first week or two weeks working as an extra person every single day, which wasn't the plan early on for me, like work the register, but I had to make connections with people, deal with issues. And uh, I had a manager in place at the time, but quickly realized that like I had to be the ultimate manager and kind of figure this whole thing out. So who was walking in? Was your plan working? Like, all right, cool. People needed some sort of destination here because maybe they they just wanted to visit this block, but there's no they're not just going to linger in whatever expensive purse store there was. So huge advantage that we had. Uh, I believe we opened on a Wednesday, but Sunday before that, we we had a a like free coffee day, quote unquote, where there's a there's a very popular farmer's market on that block on Sundays. So Stumptown, our coffee partner, gave us free coffee and we did like a, a run through for a couple hours on Sunday and we had people outside like telling people to come inside, free coffee, it's a coffee shop. They had no idea what it was. Um, people coming in and we, we got a lot of, we got noticed a lot, obviously we we're giving out free coffee, which always helps, but we had a lot of people come in and be like, we didn't know this is a coffee shop or I had got so excited like six months before we opened, I put the awning up in the sign so people coming in being like, we thought this is a movie set. You know, like <laughs> we didn't know what this was because the sign went up, but it wasn't open. Cause I just, I was like, I need to put my sign up. It was just like one of those. Only in LA would like a gun. random coffee <laughs> sign be construed as a movie set. Yeah, of course. 
but it it was not that busy in the beginning. But it was, thank God, it was not that busy because we we weren't prepared for it. But um, early on, it was just figuring out a lot of things. Yeah, a lot of vendors and under ordering, over ordering. How did hiring work? Because you never like, did you even work in a coffee shop before? No. You know anything like that? So how do you know I how to find at, people? I worked at my cousin's yogurt shop when I was like thirteen. <laughs> Like it was it was back in the day when the yogurt shops where you put like the base and then you put the stuff and you press it down and it swirls it the machine like would grind out the flavor oh yeah the good stuff yeah I don't think they make those machines anymore they're probably not like health code efficient <laughs> um, hiring so we, so, we, so you're tapping into your 13 year old self of like yeah. how how would hire or who would they hire because he didn't get advice anywhere else he didn't take any so back then it was word of mouth because it was pre internet but uh, we were. Craigslist, really? Craigslist, and we were at a point at the point where, ironically enough, we had to hire everyone that showed up because we just needed bodies. So, well, we had eight people show up, something like that, and we hired seven of them. And the one guy I didn't hire. I thought he was just too timid. I'm like, this guy won't cut it here. Well, fast forward to a week later, I go to this. Um, we're short staffed. A week later, I go to this vintage store on La Brea. And I go to grab a coffee or a tea next door, and I see that guy working behind the register. <laughs> and this, the guy who I thought was timid was working the register, making the drinks like a ninja behind the bar. <laughs> and I'm like, his name is Daniel. And I'm like, Daniel, what's up? Um, you know, in your interview, you were so quiet. He's like, yeah, I'm working on that. Like, but I saw him in his natural element. I'm like, you still want to work for us? He came, worked for us for like three years, and now he's a successful, um, yeah real estate business that he runs, but wow. completely different the way he interviewed. And the one guy I didn't hire was our best employee ever. <laughs> um, saw him in action, randomly brought him on board. And so we're eight for eight on that first day of hiring eventually. We filled out the roster. When did you, when did you start seeing traction of some kind to the point where you were looking beyond that six month, one year horizon? We launched in January. By November, we were getting exactly what I wanted which was the um, like the Melrose Place, like the retailers that kind of bleed over into our cafe and our cafe bleeding over into them. There was a big blogger. She's still probably a big blogger um, from Italy who a lot of people knew. She was really trendy. And she, and she spent like four days, like four different days posting photos on our patio um, and it was like one day wasn't enough. It was one day was insane. Two, three, four days in a row, obviously not paid. We're a little coffee shop. Um, and, but she took it upon herself to post on her patio four days in a row. And like, then I'm like, okay, the fashion thing and like the elevated coffee experience, it's trendy has really merged. So I'll never forget like that week. I was like, people were like out of nowhere hitting me up and, um, you That's know, Kiara Ferrani. Yes, screenshotting it, sent it to me. It was before like the DM feature, I think. Yeah, on, on, early where man. You could send the photos. Yeah, so I was like, we really made it because random people that had no relationship to me were even just sending that to me and being like, "She's the best, amazing," you know, getting fifty thousand likes five years ago. She was getting. She's so for context, she now has seventeen million followers <laughs> on Instagram. Yeah. She was the OG. Instagram celebrity. This was before all like the booty pop and thing. Like she's just a really great fashion blogger that has made millions now with her lines of her own clothes. So this is a monumental person to walk in the door. And you said she posted like four times in a row. It was crazy. <laughs> four days in a row. And so 
the business changed after that after that moment in your opinion um i th- i think for me it was it was a critical moment um we've been doing a lot of different fun things and getting a lot of great reactions but there that really put us on the map as like instagram coffee the street like the magic was there the formula was kind of all coming together finally how looking back how important do you think third party validation of some kind no matter who it is whether it's a publisher an influencer a sub a celebrity for any business like looking back on it how how important do you think that validation outside of yourself and your team is i think for like for me it's validating but then you forget because you're just moving on and there's i see everything right that has to do with my business so there's a lot of ups and downs and like that kind of fades away but for other people looking on the outside like you know whatever they associate alfred with like oh yeah that's the coffee shop that she was that kiara Faragni was at or you know still like those kind of associations they stick more for other people just like for me when i look at other businesses like those things kind of stick my my associations for a business and a celebrity or kind of you know outside things that um you know things that i might forget really um other people might remember and kind of they take it with them and i think it's really important at the end of the day how long after that moment were you also thinking about hey this is successful enough i want to think about another location i started think after about one year of being open i was like all right this is great but it's not really great unless I can do it again. So I need proof of concept. So after about a year, I decided to open another location, but it ended up being two locations. So the second one was down the street from us, and then the third one was in Brentwood. Down the street from us, I could kind of, it was not that risky for me in that it was in our, that's our hood, was Melrose area, you know? But Brentwood was not our hood. Spent a lot of time growing up there. Very different customer. That's the um, UCLA area, yeah? For people that... Yeah, the UCLA area. Um, more affluent, mm-hmm. more homes. Um, very different. So for me, it was like, let's see if we can do that somewhere else where I'm sandwiched by Pete's Coffee, which I used to go to for a long time, that specific one on San Vicente, and Cafe Lux across the street. So I was going wow. like... In, in the middle of it all. You're going toe-to-toe. Toe-to-toe. The Pete's closed, by the way. I'm <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm, that's all I said. And, I and, and what, what made you... Well, so what made you think second and third location... At in, once. Because that's... I think anyone expanding from a single location has to think about that pretty hard. Mm. And then expanding multiple times in a shorter period that... Like, what, what gave you the motivation to do both of those stores uh super stressful i was horizon wise i was trying to space them out as much as possible but there's this beautiful thing called planning and permits so you know as much as you have you think you have control you don't so one was supposed to be before the other substantially before the other one and in those zoning and planning processes and the permitting they kind of got a little closer than i wanted to so i spaced them out by like three months opening um but the, the beauty of it was I had a really wise, wise retail uh, mind tell me that he's like, you can run the one store at 100% forever. And like, congratulations to you. But what if you could open 10 and have them run at 90 to 95% with you not being so involved? You're much 
financially you're doing much better, right? With those that many stores at that percent even. And you make a bigger impact. So really opening the second and third locations so close to each other just in general really forced me to be a little bit more um, separated from the business. I, I'm still very obsessed with the original location, um, but I, at that time I was super obsessed with it. So now I had three things on my mind. So how much effort can I give the original? I had to kind of learn to, to disassociate myself a little bit and trust other people to run it which then allows you to kind of, when you get comfortable with that, expanding even more from there, so. That's a unique skill set that I, like I, like I don't even feel like I have, like how do you, going from that one location to the three and talking about disassociating even a little bit, going from that 100% or as every entrepreneur will tell you, the 150% to like 95% if you will, is it a matter of finding the right person? You're like, all right, trust this person or trusting the process? Uh, it's more, I think, for me, trusting the process. Like, I had no choice at that point, right? How much time can I put into all three of these things and still live like a normal life? Um, so, kind of by doing it, it really, it just I, it forced me. I had no choice. Mm-hmm. So all of a sudden, I have to kind of treat these three things like my babies and give them equal time, um, equal nurturing, and you know, it just it forced me out a little bit. How how important was I mean, coming from the real estate background, when you were looking at second and third locations, how important was the actual location in to, to putting the investments toward those second and third shops? I imagine it means a lot, but I think for a lot of people who listen, you know, they see, you know, they might say like, oh yeah, did you see a four lease sign and did you sign a piece of paper and then did you put it in there? What was your process coming from real estate and knowing what you did know um, about retail. Well, you hit the nail on the head. So if coming from real estate for me, you know, like location, location, location. With so many other factors out there, the one thing you can control, right? Putting rent in a vacuum, the one thing you can control is having a great location. It's it's not hard to, to, to for someone who knows an area, like, like I know my part of LA, to be like, this is a good location, that's a bad location. So right, um, so for me, I always put, a lot of emphasis on having a great address in a great part of town because I can control that, you know? Um, you can't control if people show up, people like your product, if the tastes are different in that little in that neighborhood. Um, you know, you can't control who goes next to you, across the street from you, uh, these kind of things. You know, you can't control if the, the, the city wants to shut down the street to, to bulldoze it and add another lane and ruin. But at least what I can control is having a great location um, and sometimes obviously the rent is an issue, it's higher in, in these great locations, but then I kind of try to make my spaces a little bit smaller or get some patio space and kind of balance it out that way. But um, we pride ourselves in having great locations in all the neighborhoods that we're at as we look going forward also. I'm very picky and very opportunistic about, we're looking in Venice and you know other places and back east again, like in Echo Park, Silver Lake, but I'll wait for the right location because I don't want to spend the time, the money, the staffing, the effort for what, five year lease and be like, I should have just waited six more months. The perfect mm-hmm. location opened up. So you have the highest density of stores in Los Angeles, but I'm curious, just not being a coffee shop owner, like is, do they cannibalize each other? Like the locations or are people so finicky about coffee that like, yo, if this place is right outside of my office door, I'm going to go there. Like, and is that, because your first couple locations were somewhat close to each other, especially your second one, right? 
I think it's the latter. Um, coffee's hyper-local. Outside of like, let's say our Melrose Place location, which is a real destination, um, you know, it's hard to, LA's a little different also because people can, they have more free time and like they'll drive for a cup of coffee. Mm. But put that aside, um, convenience is critical with coffee, right? We opened in Silver Lake on Sunset. There's like, there were five coffee shops at the time within two blocks of each other. There's probably 12 now. Yeah. Um, but our numbers have gone up because we own our block. Like people that are walking through there or the school next door, like they love our team, they love our staff. It's very convenient for them. Even going that one or two blocks, if it's hot, yeah. like it is all the time, especially parking, um, they have the routine. So that's the beauty of coffee that you can open so many locations um, within LA where our growth strategy is to continue infilling in Los Angeles. And I don't think, you know, if it was a restaurant, you'd be like, okay, we're done with LA now, one or two more locations and let's move to another territory. Yeah. But because it's coffee, hyper-local, convenience, rules, there's a lot of infilling we can do and we've shown that. How did you guys land in, you have locations in Austin and then you have Japan, so maybe let's start with Austin. How do you decide, all right, cool, LA, for the, for the meantime, we're good, we're gonna jump over to Austin, why Austin? So we signed a lease to be in the, the Line Hotel in Koreatown and um, turned, turned pretty quickly. Like we were, we were very successful early on. The hotel, the offices, the neighborhood really embraced us. So the Line Hotel, um, the brand was opening in Austin. And in my life, I'd lived in Dallas for a few years and spent a lot of time in Austin. My sister had just graduated from UT about two years ago, so I was visiting there very often. I had a lot of relationships in Austin. The hotel was like, hey, would you be interested in opening in the lobby of our hotel? So for me, I'm like, all right, I get to go to visit Austin very often. I really like these guys as hotel operators. They have a great location. And again, I have a captive audience with 400 or so rooms. I mean, mm -hmm. if I can't make it work there, then what's, you know, what am I doing here? So, um, it was a natural fit based on our relationship in LA. So we opened in Austin with them. Was that stressful at all? Um, again, there comes a point where geographically you have to really disassociate yourself because yeah. you can't just check in, right? Um, and those guys are great operators and they're great hoteliers and they, it's just, you trust the system at some point, you know? We do check-ins and my manager there comes here and we go there, we actually have a, um, one of our employees is there for the next, uh, the past couple of days she's been uh, in Austin checking in the standards and, and quality control and stuff like that. So, you know, they do a nice job there. Are all the are all the locations of Alfred, um, Austin, and, and including Japan, which I wanna get into too, are all those company owned? So those are all your locations and there's kind of like full control there or are there licenses or franchises in place um, for the Austin, Japan locations? Well, we have um, operating partners, but we have full control. Okay. It's our brand. Everything is ours. Um, they can't make a decision on cup sizes or design or drink specials without going through us. But of course, somewhere like Japan, as you imagine, Yeah. you know, we're an American company don't speak Japanese and hiring and such. So we have, we have great partners out there that we, we work with. How did that, how did J the Japan opportunity yeah. present itself? Because as we were kind of digging into our 
research and just looking at the brand, I mean, one, there's a ton of locations in a pretty short period of time. And then, right, the clusters of Los Angeles and then Japan from a direction standpoint of someone building a concept, a restaurant, a drink concept, like to be an international brand so quickly. Um, I think our, our listeners are really interested about how that came to be. So somewhere along the line, I hatched the idea of creating a tea only concept. Okay. So we are a coffee company, but, um, at the time we were doing a lot of iced tea, hot tea, matcha was really trendy. So I figured, you know, the, the tea concepts that really exist in the States, there's high end like tea rooms, like with, you know, little crumpets and like a, uh, like a tea ceremony even. Um, and then on the lower end, there's just straight boba places, mm-hmm. right? That just crush boba, um, different flavors and excitement and colorful. But I, what I wanted to do was really apply the Alfred way and create something in between both both those two, which is a modern tea room that blends a fine assortment of, of teas, um, a great variety of boba in there that we would hand make and cook everything, all the ingredients on site, and also iced tea, matcha, and innovation in there. So the concept was Alfred Tea Room. We launched one on Melrose Place across from our original cafe. That was the safest bet for us because we had a captive audience. I figured if it didn't work, I could just put signs in the coffee shop that were like closed, go across the street to Alfred Tea Room. That was my fail safe. (laughs) My fail safe plan was just to, you know, just send them over there for a little bit. But we dressed that place up in pink and um, all these cute little slogans and really had a different look and feel. And it was like the punky younger sister of Alfred Coffee. And the goal was if I can get people in to the cafe, at least to take a photo of the place, then they'll be exposed to like the world of tea, which is much more colorful, much more dynamic than coffee. Um, Caffeine from zero to the same amount as coffee. It's just tea is, you know, you can do a, a mushroom drink and be like, this is tea because you think of anything that's like hot water and blank is tea. Coffee is very strict. I mean, it's coffee, espresso or drip coffee and then varying amounts of milk or water. That's it. That's really all that coffee is. Tea is anything else. So we opened the tea room and immediately we were approached by a couple different Japanese companies. I had been to Japan 10 years before, um, had the best time ever. Loved Japan, always a special place in my heart. And these two companies basically saw the vision that um, in Japan, tea was really taking off. Coffee had had its moments, but in Japan, you can get a great cup of coffee. Like at a 7-Eleven, they press a button, it grinds the coffee, gives you a nice cup of coffee. It's like an afterthought at that point. But tea was really uh, making a big comeback in all of Asia, uh, in Japan as well. So I thought it was really interesting. And the concept for me was, if I can take this single LA tea shop and validate it by opening in Tokyo, um, you know, I'm bringing, the concept was like East meets West meets East, Mm -hmm. like taking it back from LA, then brand wise, this is the coolest thing ever. Um, and also I get to go visit Japan. (laughs) I'm starting to see a theme here. (laughs) Just open where you want to visit. Exactly. So, uh, went out to Japan, met with two different parties, spent quite a amount of time there, vetted what they were doing and really, um, fell in love with one company and they fell in love with us. And the goal, um, their, their severe experience, great experience in, um, cafe operations. So we partnered with them and the goal was to go and go fast, 
which is how we've opened five locations in almost two years. That's crazy. With more wow. on the horizon. So, is it like walking? Is it special to the Japanese audience there? Because you kind of can walk into LA without having to fly over and do that. Like, is that the slice of life there? Like, what's the branding look like over there? Is it the same exact? Same exact. Okay. Well, we've actually evolved the branding a little bit there to be a little bit more edgy and more concrete and. It's the brands because we've opened so many and we've kind of taken our creative liberties, but t- kept the core of what Alpha Tea Room looks and feels like, but made it a little bit more well-rounded and like, you know, rock and roll, less just straight pink tile. Yeah. So added some elements there to kind of edge it up. And I'm really pleased with the, the latest location we opened was in a city by the name of Nagoya a couple, about a month ago, actually. And it's, really amazing design wise and, and vibe wise. It's been great. T has a T has a exceptionally rich history in Japan and Asia. Um, did you have to adapt anything that you did operationally from a sourcing perspective, the teas that you have to use to meet the Japanese palette of where they were at? Because, you know, matcha became a thing here while it's been very much a, a big thing in Japan for centuries so um what was your approach in bringing what seemed to be like an la tea house to a foundational country of tea like how how did you adapt or not adapt and meet the japanese public so there's definitely a lot of localization that has to go into our menu um as idealistic as we were in thinking like this is our menu and we're going to do the same exact thing in japan and people are going to go nuts for it um, we, you know, our, our partners there kind of held our hand and, and a couple, a couple, a couple funny things happened. And one main one, which you just touched on right now is, all right, so you go in the States right now and in our tea room or any other matcha shop or a coffee shop and it's like matcha on the menu, right? Like we have matcha, like it's, <laughs> like, it's not just powder you mix with hot water. Like, like there's black magic that goes into it, you know? <laughs> Um, it's true. That's very true. It's, funny. it's actually, it's like, you know, if, if you're at the register and it's like a coffee drink or a matcha drink, like matcha drink takes like a 10th of the time, go all day with the matcha. <laughs> and it's like the storage of it is just a jar. Um, but obviously, so for us, it was like matcha is a really big part of our menu in the States in the tea room and the coffee shop. So we're like, we're going to knock Japan socks off with matcha, right? <laughs> so the first rend- the first rendition of the menu we were working on, we sent it over to them, and it was like you know a giant box in the middle, and it's like matcha. Let's go. These are the different ways you can prepare it, and these are the different drinks we're going to offer. We did a large drink, which is LA size, and they're like, we they, we love LA size, but they kind of pulled me aside, and they're like, no matcha, and I'm like, what do you mean no matcha? This is like what we do, <laughs> and they're like, we don't put matcha on the menu here, and I'm like, what are you talking about? Well, they're like. They had to explain it to me like, it's like diner coffee, right? It's like just oh. obvious. It's like, it's, it's like you have drip coffee, congratulations. <laughs> so like, you go to the restaurant next door here and it's like, you're not gonna see like a, a giant box in the middle of the menu, it's like coffee, you know? And like with half and half. Or, <laughs> it's like, you don't even have it on the menu because it's just so obvious there. So that was like a hard reality for us that it's like, you know, as much as as much as it's it's a big deal for us here, for there, they take it for granted. Like, of course they have matcha. It's just another form of tea that, that's been around forever. So that's one funny way that we're just like, of course. It's like it just it's a 
it's a different world and we have to adapt to the tastes of where we're going. Um, and it's not like we're going from like LA to Austin or like, you know, to Chicago and like adapting. I mean, this is a very different world that, that tea is so, so genuinely a part of their culture and so important to them. And they just look at it a very different way than we do. Your, your coffee shop at the line was the first one that I had gone to where I saw on the menu board a multi-option matcha drinks that included espresso style drinks like Americanos, Cortados, lattes. Um, was that the, did you guys, did was matcha the beginning of tea and the tea room? Like what, what started first? Did you, did the coffee start, shop start emphasizing tea in the coffee shops? Did you create the tea rooms and that had an effect on the coffee shops? I'm curious about where tea came from because like coffee and tea are very different worlds. And even though it like somewhat makes sense to have, you know, concepts that do either both, um, you know, they're very different worlds. And so I think a lot of people don't do both because they, they don't have the expertise or they can't do them both well. Just backtrack for me about why, why tea? So very different worlds, but very similar preparation methods and, and machinery, which is a benefit. Um, we launched the coffee shop originally. We, obviously, we had a few different hot tea options. We had a couple of iced tea options. That was the extent of tea. Tea was never a big part of our business. It's just an offering that we had. We were obviously primarily a coffee shop. Um, along the way, we did a pop-up with our friends uh, from Matcha Bar in New York. We did a matcha pop-up at our second location, Alfred in the Alley. And lot of energy behind it people were really excited matcha was really just taking off as a category um did really well for us that pop-up so from there we started incorporating matcha as like a, a like a side menu not on our main menu in the cafes and some of our locations like brentwood started really taking off with matcha um people really became a, a alternative for them to coffee and took off as like a caffeine equivalent replacement for a lot of our coffee drinkers. So that matcha category um, was like a smaller menu in our coffee shops. And I don't remember which came first, but it started just evolving into the main menu, like you saw in Koreatown for our newer locations or the existing locations, we redid the menus and the tea room took off. And that was a, a, a huge selling point of our tea, tea room offering. Um, but you know, just the tea, the matcha, the hot tea, iced tea without the boba would have never really made the tea room. The boba is what really set us apart because especially like on Melrose Place in that area, there's nowhere to find boba. We have really good boba. We cook like 10 to 12 batches a day. So it's completely fresh and delicious and you can just watch them cooking it. So it really hard to make. Uh, it's time and labor intensive. Mm. It's not like you just rip open something like you have to yeah. actually cook it. Like it's a powder ball that you cook with. Uh, brown sugar and water and you have to watch temperature and get it the perfect chewiness wow. otherwise get too hard or too soft and then it's just you dump it yeah so it's definitely requires a lot of attention um, not that simple for the for the matcha espresso style drinks how does how does that work because i had one and i really liked it but i just know that the products are like from a coffee bean and then from matcha like are very different what gave you that confidence level of like, oh, we can totally do matcha espresso drinks? Because um, I just had never really seen a whole lot before, and it's on your menu. On your menu, like 
matcha americano and i was like oh what the i'm gonna order it but i also don't really know like what that means i'm, I'm curious about that so being a coffee shop we have to look at everything through the lens of a coffee shop right um i don't want to make a competing business or com- or you know have my baristas like have to memorize two different concepts and and especially their customers, right? Simplification. So our menu's pretty simple. We've actually kind of expanded it recently, but my goal for as long as I could fight it was to kind of keep it as limited with the items as possible and everything else can be a conversation. So, um, you know, when you get an espresso shot all the way up to a latte, the building block for any coffee drink with espresso is a double shot, two ounces of espresso. So anything we do on the matcha side from a shot to a latte is two ounces of, of matcha. So matcha and water up to two ounces. So interchangeable espresso or the matcha. So the drinks, Americano, same thing as the coffee Americano, hot water up to six ounces with two ounces espresso shot, eight ounces total. So we just kind of mimic that menu. And that way it's also the same caffeine. Flavor-wise it works out great. And then it just becomes interchangeable. You could just get the same drink you like with a different base. Simple. Let's keep talking about this menu because uh you have some wild stuff on there that very photogenic. Like you have a, you serve a drink out of a coconut, like an actual coconut. Actual coconut. You have one where I mentioned it in the in the intro, and I think this might be the that might have been my first uh, foray into seeing Alfred on on social media. Was the it's like a waffle cone espresso shot. Yes. What, what is that? We we so we stopped that recently, and we stopped the ten dollar latte, which you alluded to. <laughs> Just in in Updates. for this for the sake of of. There's, there's things that are really cool and, and look really great, mm-hmm. but as we want to really kind of grow, it's simplifying our business sure, and really emphasizing monthly specials and, and things like that to drive. Um, but for Instagram, those things were fantastic. Yeah. Um, <laughs> we had a lot of, we had a lot of publicity around that waffle shot and now there's like 10 people claiming they invented it in Australia. One of my old employees, uh, like trademarked it. It's crazy. Con- <laughs> congratulations to everybody. Um, it doesn't matter. <laughs> then he just takes it yeah. off the menu. He's like, that's how much I It doesn't it. matter. I Congratulations mean, to everybody is amazing. <laughs> so it, it was a, a small waffle cone um, lined with chocolate. We put espresso or macchiato in there. Brilliant. But if anybody drinks espresso or macchiato, you know it's a very acquired taste. Mm. It's not that much milk. So something as like delicate as a cone with chocolate is delicious. But if you're not used to espresso or espresso with a tiny bit of milk, it's bitter and it's harsh it's espresso yeah so um more for photos the people that were really ordering that um you know i don't think it's their taste they probably want a latte or something with more milk because um it's it's more of a delicacy more of an exciting offering not really something you get every day people i haven't had this but people rave do you have burritos on the menu i want to get this amazing burritos what is what is this burrito situation (laughs) and we have better burritos now because we we prepare them differently than we used to so So talk to me about the burrito currently i I love a little moment where i could just talk yeah so um we have an um sometimes we feature different food trucks outside of our cafes okay there was one by the name of uh the rooster truck yeah yeah she's a beast we love her she makes amazing burritos so she wasn't doing wholesale we're like listen we have people in here we have great coffee you make great burritos wholesale let's do this we built a beautiful relationship together um two heavy hitting burritos is a rico suave and a rico suave no bacon for my jewish peeps out there <laughs> um and then we, co- we collaborated on a alfred burrito which is egg, egg white avocado um 
I think we have the tater tots in there too. And then chicken chorizo. Oh, this is so LA. I love it. Yeah. So we sell the burritos in all of our coffee shop locations. They are amazing. Oh Whether you postmate them or you're hungover and you just walk in, whatever you do, or you just want a burrito, it's like, it's too good. And there's two sauces. There's a, like a crema, like a green sauce. And there's like a black sauce that's like the Baja Fresh black sauce. If you know the Baja Fresh black sauce is yeah. like the best sauce ever. It Bruh. tastes exactly like that. Bruh, I so love I just that. Just go so back and forth in the my, sauce. I'm going this Friday, baby. My, my favorite thing to watch recently for me, and this happened when I was in SF this past week too, when a waiter was describing a menu and you can actually tell that they're not just reciting something, that there's like a love behind the eyes and what they're talking about. Like Josh, when you were describing the burrito for people that obviously are listening to this, like you you got into this other level yeah, yeah. of like, it's, yo, these burritos are not only good, but you love them. And I just love watching it. Like I can't stop watching people who are actually excited about what they're saying because there's just so much speak nowadays jargon that people are just like whatever that yeah. are just throwing words at your face but when someone's really passionate about i got I, now i have to try that burrito i, I have to fight the feeling every day <laughs> i don't even i don't even acknowledge that they exist um and you like my staff is like everyone's the same way it's salivating talking about it like how's the burrito oh it's really good <laughs> yeah it's you get that across the board and the beautiful thing is we prepare them before it took us like seven, eight minutes to prepare them. Now we have a new method where we prepare them and they're crunchier and better and it takes three to four minutes. So I'm debuting it here. Oh Half the God. time, even better burrito. <laughs> We're really happy with our new methods of cooking and delivering these delicious cheesy burritos. Hey, we need to go film these burritos. Is. That sounds yes. amazing. I want to, okay. I don't want to jump to beer just yet because I have a few more I got, thoughts. Yeah, and I got at least one more question while we're on coffee and tea, if you don't mind. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, Josh, your your tea shops have beautiful drink. Like, they're beautiful. Um, and you've already talked about a little bit about how tea kind of gives you more color and more variety. Um, they also have a high quality level that's been reported on. How do, you, how do you balance and achieve both things? Um, or was it just easier within tea? Because there's a lot of places I think that Eli and I see and they do one or the other. They're really high quality. You can't take a photo of anything. And that's fine for a lot of people. But I think for someone in media, if we can't, if we can't show people something, it basically doesn't exist. And there's a lot of people that act as media. Now, even if you're just a normal person with 300 followers, you're still treating your content like, like media. So what's the, what was the trick for you to balance both the aesthetics and, and the high quality? So first of all, everything has to taste great. So if it doesn't taste great, we're not gonna launch it. So no matter how beautiful it looks or what the benefits of the drink are, it's gotta be something people would actually wanna get again. And we're not going for like the one-off customer that's like just focused on the one benefit of it. Um, nor do we want something people just buy because it looks cool and then they never buy it again because it's actually gross. So um, we have an amazing team. We have a great food and beverage director. Um, we have the, the tea room is a very special place and it's like our R&D kitchen because again, the vibrance of the color, the versatility of tea itself and the ability to basically call anything tea that's with hot water or water. Um, so what it really starts for us is, is the building block is function 
and the story behind it. And I am in charge of making sure that it looks good and it can be shared on social media. Like, so you're the food stylist. I'm the food stylist. I'm the, they, they now, but by now I'm not the food stylist. They just know like if it's not presentable, like it's not what's, going what's a brown, brown drink. <laughs> it could be cold brew. Like what's so special about that? How are you going to show people that it's something different than cold brew? Um, but even like when we first launched the tea room and we had the matcha lattes, you know, they were, they were putting the milk and the matcha and mixing it. And I'm like, we're not mixing this. This is the customer's going to mix this. I want the separation, the white and the green handed over, even with the, the lattes. When we do it now, most places will mix them for you and hand them to you. I want that separation so you can see like really, the different the contrast. stratospheres of yeah. the color and the contrast and kind of go from there. But, you know, we've had, it, it's, it's just the world that we live in. It's got to look good and taste good. Um, for it to be successful, there's no one formula or solution. Just like you can't open a coffee shop that looks cool, it's terrible. Or if you open a place that's, well, you can get away with both. But if you open a place that's, you know, super focused on one thing, but no no atmosphere, no environment, no good customer service, it's going to be difficult also. Of course, there's exceptions for everything, but we try to blend both when possible. You, uh, tell me, tell me about this Kawhi Leonard thing. I uh I saw on Instagram this we wrote an article about it. A few other people did. You guys put up Kawhi Leonard, NBA player, famously uh, chose the Los Angeles Clippers as his new destination over the Los Angeles Lakers. You guys are obviously uh, an LA-based brand. I'm a fan of the Lakers. Jeff here is a fan of the Clippers. Uh, you guys posted an Instagram on the Alfred's Coffee Instagram account. You guys have hundreds of thousands of followers across all of your accounts. So it didn't go unnoticed it said quote unquote we reserve the right to refuse service to Kawhi Leonard Paul George and anyone else affiliated with the Clippers organization signed Alfred unquote <laughs> and then the internet went bonkers berserk bonkers um what's so, your side of this uh, uh, a couple just reminders number one it was something I'd done on my own Instagram as a joke and then mm. obviously I put on Alfred and you know, it's one of those things like this, uh, you have great responsibility with the business. It's not like a personal opinion. Um, but the second thing, just to just to clarify, I'm a, I'm a fan of all sports, right, across the board. Uh, but being from L.A., grew up a Lakers fan, so thought it was pretty funny because that's just what the Lakers fans do is we just... <laughs> We just make fun of Clippers fans. It's just, it's unfortunate. I it's, love it. It's, it's human nature at this point, back and forth, and especially with all this stuff going on. And, um, you know, like, as as any Laker fan probably feels, we got burned by Paul George last year, who was basically promised us that he's going to come to the Lakers and then went to Oklahoma City again. And then Kawhi Leonard, I feel like, you know, might have strained, strung the Lakers along for like a week, making sure they don't sign anybody else and spend that money, and then just decided to go to the Clippers when all signs are pointing to the Lakers. So between the two of them, they've kind of really damaged um, our plans and rebuilding for the future. So you put that all together with a Lake hyper Lakers fan, and things got a little out of control. Now, if I had posed it as, hey, uh, Paul George and Kawhi, well, we didn't know Paul George was going to come, but hey, Kawhi, if you sign with the Lakers, give you free coffee for life, like the Raptors had done with that, like anywhere Kawhi eats, he's gonna get a you know, free meal. Um, positivity would have been a whole different reaction. Of course, we did it in the, ne the negative form of that, which is ban them for not coming, which is not the right thing to do, and I understand, and you know, um, we did a little Instagram apology, but obviously 
We, we love everybody. Everyone is always welcome in our cafes. And me personally, just a big fan of, of sports and the rivalries and the excitement and the back and forth that goes on, you know, every so, single day. And so as a Clippers fan, I had no problem with you banning the Clippers. I thought it was hilarious and awesome. Because as fans of sports, you're right. As it's fans part of, of sports, it's like I expect to be taunted by Lakers fans for the rest of my life, even when, which I have no idea if we will ever win a championship, but even when we do, we will still have 83 less than the Lakers. So like, I'm, I'm going to get that forever, and I fully expected it. I think for me it was when the apology came. That's where I was like, I was oh bummed. man, I'm bu- <laughs> I, like I'm, I was I was then frustrated because I had no I had no I had no problem making a claim on media as long as there was like an ownership of it. But then once the apology came, I was just like, oh well, then I had no idea. Is this just for media hype and then a retraction? It sounds like it was just a joke that went too far. But I'm assuming that's also a lesson learned, I guess, from a. I, well, what you put out right on social media it's like it's, we, it's primed for people to talk about we get how hard of a position that is it, it, it is a, i thought it was a funny joke it is an obvious joke like you guys are a name brand coffee like you're not gonna actively ban anyone for such frivolous it's an obvious joke what bummed me about it one as a laker fan and a fan of sports i was like yo run to the fields with this print out pictures of everyone in the Clippers organization, put it in every binder that you have. That's a welcome packet for your employees. And obviously when they come in, just give them free coffee. It's a joke, but it's like this fun underlying LA culture that you're feeding into. I thought it was hilarious. I was almost bummed that you retracted it. Well, I just wanted to, first of all, I'm one person and the business is different. Totally. totally. But I just wanted to make sure that people understood that it was a joke because we were getting some reactions from people that perhaps they didn't really understand that it was a joke. What's some wild shit that happened? Because you, you were telling me before the pod, there's some stuff uh, today. Just, uh, even. Yeah, I mean, it's just, <laughs> it's just you know, well, the craziest thing that happened was ESPN hit me up to, to like talk about it. And I'm like, I just can't do that right now. I can't be on ESPN <laughs> talking about this. But, but the irony of the whole situation is, the irony is, as a Laker fan, as a, as a Lakers fan, that organization is such a mess. That <laughs> They're bad, if it was If this was like in Milwaukee that someone did this, the Milwaukee organization would be like, here's season tickets for like standing up for our team. You know yeah. what I mean? Lakers can't even, they probably didn't even see this to get their things together. <laughs> if it was the opposite with like Clippers, even Clippers would be like, yo, that was great. Like, <laughs> let's do something funny with this. Yeah, yeah. Maybe a Clipper branded sleeves. Yeah. Uh, someone is paying attention and like caught on to this and like talked about it. But Lakers are completely a mess. So you guys uh, collab with a lot of awesome brands. One of our writers is, is foaming at the mouth. You guys did a Power Rangers collab yes. back yeah. in the day, yes. which is badass, but holy shit. Um, would you ever collab? So every every seasonally, you guys pick? Every a, month. Every month. One, yeah, so the first of the month, new sleeve. We don't announce it until that month. Exciting things build around the sleeves, but it's definitely the way we build our partnerships every month. That's brilliant. One, I want to ask what future ones you have, and would you ever do one with the Clippers? <laughs> <laughs> white blue <laughs> and maybe like on the inside sleeve you can write you save a lot of money because you don't have to print all the years they won championships because it's none yeah but, all, you, all you gotta do is do the logo there's nothing there's, there's nothing else you can add yeah, unless you want to do unless you want to do like the 2000 we'll put chris paul's face on there to haunt, haunt everybody no 
I know a design director over at the Lakers. <laughs> we can make that happen, but I don't know. Oh, I know someone at the Clippers for you. We actually did a cool uh, <laughs> Lakers t-shirt last year, just like a Alfred and the Lakers font and like a year where we started 13. We did a Dodgers one too. Sick. So we've kind of ingrained ourselves a lot into um, into sport culture. That's where like my personality com- kind of comes into it. But like, you know, we're, we're an LA based brand. This is outside of a few locations outside of LA, but we're very LA. This is our hood. This is where we continue to grow, um, where we want to make an impact. So now that now that you're really branded as kind of the L.A. coffee shop, do, do you think people want to step into that L.A. coffee shop outside of L.A. and is, and is that do you have plans for that like within the U.S. beyond the Austin location? Um, we're definitely considering a few different markets to potentially grow into San Francisco, Miami, New York. Like natural fits, I think Miami fits culturally with L.A. Mm, yeah like the daily coffee culture you know um we thrive not only on morning business but afternoon and like early evenings um you get new york you get all time of day yeah miami you kind of get that same la uh, vibe everyone's you know just hanging working out and like not necessarily in an office where they work um so that would really work there um but yeah our focus has always really been ingraining ourselves like la culture um luckily that's where i'm from that's where i understand real estate wise, market wise, and it's a really cool place that people always look up to. You know, um, Japan, for example, just back to that, um, they get really obsessed with different parts of the states. You know, like they had a big Brooklyn phase, they had a big <laughs> Portland phase, but I think their undying obsession in the states is always gonna be Los Angeles. That's just, that's what it is. So there's a lot of appeal for them to like, bring an LA brand back to the home of tea. Um, but I think that really translates across the US also, and. Um, other different cities internationally. It's like LA's always has this like star above it and people really, really look up to it or it's a place that destination that people want things from or to be at. So do you see as do you see coffee or tea as the greater opportunity in the near future? Uh, in the States for sure coffee. This is a coffee country. When it's funny when I opened Alfred, I thought, man, there's so many coffee shops. This is like like I'll be the last one probably. This is like I'm the crazy. I'm, I'm the one holding the bag in the end. But now, of course, every day you see more coffee shops popping up anywhere. You know, around me, on Eater, wherever you go, you'll just see coffee shops. Um, the obsession with coffee is undying in the states. The tea room is a one-off exception. I don't think U.S. is ready for tea in so many different markets. Um, Which is what we saw with the closure of Tivana and yeah, Starbucks. Yeah, we're ready for it. Yeah. Ca- calling it quits on that entire brand. Exactly. Like, if you just want to have tea, just a coffee shop, you could just have a little menu of tea. Why does it need to have its own store and its own training and its own staff? Sure. You know? Um, but both, you own a tea no. shop, too, right? Like, that's, that's, I think that's the contrast is. Yeah. But I mean, I don't fight, I don't fight on, like, should I open more coffee shops or tea shops? There was a moment where I did briefly, but coffee is the main driver of the conversation. Now, tea is always involved in, in coffee. So, you know, it's part of our offering people to know that when they walk into Alfred, they can get a great tea offering that's on par with our tea room or any any other tea place. The quality is it's the same quality and same attention. Maybe not the same breadth of offering, but it's still there. So we're not isolating that at all. But coffee is what drives the stories and the conversation for us. You must be real confident because what a great what a great success story you've had with Alfred. And now it's time for beer of all things. You you started a beer brand. I started a beer brand. So it's called Kalidad. Tell me why and how that even came into be. Um, 
uh, for many years with Alfred, I've been considering launching like a ready to drink concept, right? Mm -hmm. A coffee uh, or even like a tea. Um, but you, you look out there, not to say the beer is not saturated, but like the coffee, you go in the grocery store and it's like, how many different cold brews are there? Like cold brew with oat milk, cold brew with almond milk. And sure. it's, it's endless, right? Um, but a lot of people are doing it really well. I think Stumptown uh, does it exceptionally well. Um, so, and they have a great you know, brand first approach and there's a lot of good feeling out there. On the beer side, myself, um, for, for many years and my friends and being in Southern California, we drink Mexican beers, right? Mm-hmm. Um, a group of like Constellation beers, right? From Modelo to Corona Pacifico. This is what we enjoy. And at some point I'm just casually looking at the beer um, market. It's always going more and more complex. You know, how many times have I tried to drink an IPA and been like, today's the day I'm gonna like this. And I'm like, <laughs> you know, and then really I just want like a Coors Light. And I'm like, this is, actually not what I want and, I, and I, it's it's not for me you know and I don't think as many times as I tried I'm gonna evolve into that person so looking at the landscape of beer um, some people are doing some fun stuff in there but everything is always going more complex and really deep into beer so I'm like why doesn't anybody do anything like Mexican beer like or similar to Mexican beer or a California beer um, and that was happening but not so much so Alfred's always been like a very brand first approach experiential feel um, approach to coffee. So I hatched the crazy idea. I'm like, why don't I apply those same kind of principles to beer, right? And what are people drinking and what's constantly killing it? And what do I actually enjoy? And I can talk about Mexican beer, right? Um, so gathered some interest from some friends. I'm like, am I crazy? And they're like, well, you're going into beer in like 2018. And, you know, I don't know how hard sodas were killing it yet or, or seltzers. Seltzers, and yeah. Like, that was like kind of happening, but like, you know, you look at beer charts and it's like, you know, like the rise of marijuana, beer is gonna die soon, you know? Yeah. <laughs> um, hard, hard liquor, beer is finished um, and everything's trending down, but Mexican beer is like this little star that's always kind of climbing. And again, all those brands are owned basically by Constellation. So I said, all right, here's an opportunity, brand first approach, we're gonna make it in California. I'm from Southern California, I'm not Latin, but I spoke Spanish at like the age of two till now. Like this is just part of my nature, Mexican style beer, but we're really gonna focus on making it synonymous with Southern California. So put the brand together, really created a brand package that was, um, my goal was to make it look authentic and feel familiar like you've seen it before. Like someone's like this guy, crazy guy, Josh wanted to, you know, unearth this brand from a hundred years ago. Like he's a lunatic. I want it to look like that. And also I wanted to taste like the beers the Mexican style or Mexican beers um, that, you know, so you say like, what does it compare to Pacifico? You try it or like compare it to Pacifico, not like ultra hoppy beer that might have the same in- ingredient mix, but it doesn't taste like that. So um, put the concept together, calidad, which means quality in Spanish. It's phonetic. I thought it was really tongue in cheek that it's, it's, you translate calidad beer and it's quality beer, which means it's the most generic descriptive term for a beer. Like how does this beer taste? Oh, it's quality. Um, and put that concept together and uh, raised some money from family and friends, got some money from bigger people, bigger investors. Um, uh, Adrian Gonzalez obviously joined the team and that was huge for us because he kind of embodies the spirit of the brand. Um, you know, uh, grew up in San Diego, born in Tijuana. Like he's just, he straddles that line. Obviously he's, he's, a, he's a, um, a behemoth in 
the the business world and he's really looked up to in the Latin market, obviously play for the Dodgers, Padres, like he's he's just a beast and having his stamp of approval and having him behind it and being able to speak about it and appearing about it was really important to us and kind of validated everything that I was putting together. And we launched last November in a can format and then draft as well in kegs. And it's been exceptional for us. I think as also a lot of bars, restaurants, grocery goes towards local mm. to not just feed the machine of constellation, but provide a well-branded, so people will at least gravitate towards it, um, alternative, and it's made in California, made in Santa Barbara. Like what a great feeling and a great story that's in a really underserved category. Well, again, kudos on the branding because I think I saw the beer around this time last year for the first time a writer brought it in and I was like, what? That looks like a beer that I've seen before. Um, and then I was like, well, tell me more about the beer. And they're like, this is a new beer. I was like, what the hell? And I love that idea because like I, f- I feel the same way. I, I'm big, I like beer culture, but I don't get the taste a lot of the times. I end up gravitating towards some of the more simple flavors. How did you go about like brewing? Is that one of the things that you brought on with your investment or did you like actually go try to brew beer? <laughs> no, no, no. So um, we talked to a couple different breweries, um, landed on one run by a really cool family that just clicked. Um, and we just troubleshooted like different beers, you know. There's a style that is Mexican style, right? There's a, a general ingredient mix and a concept in there. Um, but we tried to use majority of California sourced ingredients in there where we could, which was great. And then just troubleshooted the flavor, you know, created something that's really light, drinkable, refreshing with a little bit of a cit- citrusy aftertaste or, or like over, over taste right there. So, um, you know, you put it side by side with the Modelo and you're like, this is, you could taste that it's higher quality mm. and it's more comparable to Pacifico, which is like kind of the goal just if you just just put them side by side like is this even in the same category yes yeah. is it better even better for us if they say that where can they where can people find it is uh, it is it everywhere yet what's going on because i sure i, I heard not it. everywhere but yeah. we're we are in over like 600 locations by now so we're in a lot of great bars and restaurants all over town um some of the mo- more memorable places that we're at um whole foods you can find us wow. bristol farms um, where else would we be like Erewhon for my LA peeps? Um, gotta be an Erewhon. Um, we're at really cool places. Like we just launched uh, Disney California adventure last week. Huge, huge. And they only do California beers. So like this is speaking to them and yeah. a lot of those places that focus only on California. Huge. Um, Hollywood bowl. That's fun. Santa Barbara bowl. So a lot of, a lot of, um, memorable places and a lot of places that turn a lot of product bevmo and total wines of course there you go so um it's, it's in we're, we're growing our footprint right now but we're in a lot of great places and the reaction's been pretty phenomenal so what's what's some of the secrets to i mean a lot of people create brands and create beer brands specifically because of i think a bubble that's been created and and there's just beer there's just beer everywhere it's another thing to get into whole foods it's another thing to be distributed at 600 locations and get approved by disney was that as simple as distributor relationship and the right timing of a california mexican style beer or was there more to that because um 
that's a that's a lot of success for a brand new brand in a really saturated market even though it does have distinguishing features yeah i mean it, it uh, it's it's a bad answer but everything really has to click right a distributor for a new brand is not going to go like call in a favor and be like Yo, yeah this, right this, that's not the favor is us you know um but aside from that i mean it's like let's say you're an account and it's like Calidad comes to you whether it's through our sales guy or distributor right you're like well what a where are these guys at? So we had, they put in the hard work. Um, um, will they support this account where they come in and like, like talk to our bartenders and explain to them what it's about? What's the story behind the beer? Is it, is it describable? Is it a good story? Does it make sense? Does the beer taste good? Um, does the packaging grab your eye? Does a tap handle grab your eye? You know, so all these things kind of have to fit and you know, you get, you get like you said before, like elevator pitch, you get like one second, you know, so you have the, the guy who's buying the beer for whether it's Disneyland or Hollywood Bowl or a local bar. And it's like, why would I carry you? I have 30 other beers here. Yeah. You know, well, you know, this is our pitch. You know, we're, we're a Mexican style beer made in Santa Barbara. We've had tremendous success, but it tastes on par with other Mexican style beers and you know, born and raised in Southern California, you know. And look at the packaging and they're like, okay, th this, we can sell this. It makes sense. Um, you know, and then hopefully they'll take a chance on us. But I think everything has to be in there together and kind of our approach, sorry, back to the brand side was you see a lot of these, um, beer companies that are coming out and it's like the name is really cool or like the logo is really cool. And you know, it's like fire breathing dragon or something insane for us. It was like, let's not worry about the name speaking to the audience because it's going to be pretty generic and the, the design is going to be very familiar but it's going to be like the color that we put together so all the packaging is from the can to the box and the end caps that we have are like this really indistinguishable color we like to call agapulco gold which is very sunny very california very um uh, appealing to the eye year round so i think you you kind of walk in you see whether you see a can or like you see an end cap of the stack of the color you're like that's calidad so color association with brand then you're like, it's deep, deeper than a logo or a name. Yeah. Yeah. You're a guest that has uh, Ivy League background, UCLA MBA. Uh, how has that education affected the way you operate your businesses and your brands? Um, honestly, I think ed education is, is the, the benefit of education is more like confidence, really. Um, of course, there's nothing that I learned in my, in, you know, college or business school that's directly applicable to starting a coffee shop or a beer brand. Um, and I'd sound like I studied entrepreneurship at school. While I was there cause I was like real estate and in numbers, which is not something I rely on really daily, but you know, it's just, it's for me, it's, it's confidence of like, I had a task, I had, you know, this many years of school. I had to pass this test to get through the school. I did it. So like it's, 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 um, uh, functionally it's something that's gives, allows a lot of it to my confidence. And really it's like a task that I completed. That's just like, you know, I feel good about that and then moved on, but it's not something that affects my life daily. It's not, I even talk about it really. Would you recommend an MBA for people pursuing entrepreneurship? Um, this is a, this is a tough one. It obviously depends on the person. The MBA, um, I think the the real benefit is you have a job and you can get paid more if you have your MBA and they'll support you and put you through school to, to come back 
and take a higher leadership position, getting an MBA. Um, in terms of entrepreneurship, I think there's a level of, of go that you either have or you don't have. It's very crazy, it's risky. You have to live with the results. Um, school can definitely help you and help you again with like the confidence to kind of make those decisions, but there's no guarantee with or without school that it's, it's gonna happen. So of course, if you can afford the time and financially to go get your education, it's always something that's really nice, whether it's full time or in the evenings. Um, and if there's a direct correlation between your job results and your compensation and getting that MBA, but you know, it's, it all depends on the person, if it's gonna help them or not, or they need that little, that push or those little, you know, accounting elements and stuff that you won't get unless you go back to school and get an MBA. That's like the best answer I've heard yeah. for this. Yeah. Cause it's hard, it's hard to recommend one way or another, but that, that level of confidence, something that I guess retro retroactively, I see that's what I got from school. I did go through school all the way. So, but, but yeah, I can't otherwise point to what I learned specifically. I definitely goofed off. I definitely made Same. it through, but yeah, even the confidence of I did finish instills confidence in little ways that you forget about. So. In the beginning, Josh, you talked about, you know, head down approach, listening to yourself for listening to friends of family or whoever, um, and kind of focused on your concept, partially because you're getting jealous of other concepts, partially because I think it eliminated that as a distraction, um, focusing on brands that you don't own or control. Do you... Are you still listening to yourself mostly now, now that you're 16 locations in, now that you have international brands, um, now that you have, you know, brands across beer, tea, coffee, has your approach, that head down approach changed? Um, I definitely have confidence. Yes. So my decisions, I can live with them. Yes or no. And, and I'm good at erasing things that I probably don't do correctly and moving on from them quickly. Um, I built like a little bit of a brain trust, obviously on the Alfred side, we've been around for a while. I have a great uh, director team of people that I could bounce ideas off of. Um, the difficulty is end of the day, you gotta make decisions, you gotta make them quick. Um, and you know, I have to make a lot of those decisions. So it's, it's, pretty, it's pretty difficult, um, but I think everything you do, like, makes it easier and easier, right? The beer thing is a whole different planet to navigate right now. It's just a different world. There's no real crossover from Alfred to that. Like Alfred, you can launch a new drink special today. Like launching a new beer skew takes like a year and it's it's a tedious process. You have one thing and you have to focus a d different way on that. Um, but a lot of it's like, you know, I've, I've built a lot of relationships on, the, relationships on the Alfred side that come through on the Cali Dad side and then vice versa a little bit. So, you know, I think it's just, uh, a matter of getting your confidence, getting the respect of others. So like if you are going to call in a favor on something and you know, they're like, this guy does a great job in his Alfred life. He must not be messing around with the Cali dad stuff. Like the same quality and attention to detail will be there. So, you know, I think it's, it's all just a, 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 a conglomeration of everything together and really building a team around you of people or maybe family members, you know, that you can ask certain questions of, when the time is right, um, based on like your experience with them. Like used to be a time I asked, used to ask my dad everything, just his advice. But sometimes I know what his advice is going to be because I know him now and I don't want to hear it. So 
he'll ask somebody else. You know? <laughs> some things I'll ask my wife because I think she knows really well. Um, some things I'll ask my team, but I, I pick and choose. You know, I'm not going to be like need a decision and like ask 20 people because it just drives you more insane. Yeah. Or you just if it's not that big of a deal, just make a decision and move on from it. Also, so is the sanity is also really important and kind of just clearing the head because you got to move on from everything. Josh, th thanks so much for coming on the pod, man. This was this is illuminating in a lot of ways. It's really fun. Congratulations on everything, by the way. Thank you, gentlemen. My yeah. pleasure. It's uh, been real. Where can people find you? And Alfred and Cali Dad. They can find me at, at Josh from Alfred. Very original. No spaces, no underscores, no dots. Just Josh from Alfred. And then uh, Alfred, of course, is at Alfred. And Cali Dad is at Cali Dad. C-A-L-I-D-A-D. -D. So Beautiful. Follow my man uh, at Book of Eli, myself at Jeff Kutnick, um, and follow the catch up on Instagram uh, as well. Uh, we look forward to reading more of your reviews wherever you leave them. Um, it really helps us. So if you enjoyed this episode, please leave a review um, and leave your Instagram handle in that review so we can touch base with you and, and, and ask you some more about um, what you're looking for in the catch up community. Uh, until next time, guys. Bye. <laughs> All right, guys, as promised, thank you so much for leaving all those reviews on the podcast store and for sharing on Instagram. When you guys share the episode, it brings a tear to my eye. It really does. But anyways, here's uh, five of you guys who I promised I would just read whatever you wrote in your Insta story when you share the podcast. You can share it if you listen to Spotify. You just share it right into your Insta story. So if you made it here to the end, I appreciate you guys. First one up, at Devion Tran says, quote unquote, I always learn something new and interesting about the food industry when I listen to one of these episodes. Definitely check them out at Food Beast. Thank you. And here's your shout out. Go try those Portuguese egg tarts at the Padaria Bakehouse. So Padaria is awesome. I've actually had these Portuguese tarts. Uh, definitely go try them. Thank you for listening. And thank you for making delicious food. Uh, shout out to Ramen Zuru in Artesia, California for listening. I went ahead and checked out your Instagram after you tagged us in the most recent episode. You guys got some fire stuff on your menu. You got chicken katsu bao buns. I'm going to go try those. So uh, thank you. Shout out to Mimo's Munchies. He's just a dope foodie account and shares our podcast all the time. But I saw you this week and want to show some love. Check him out at M-E-M-O-S Munchies on Instagram. Yo, shout out to Slush Colt. They're uh, actually a very dope clothing company based in Santa Ana. And I saw that you guys shouted us out on your Insta stories. Appreciate you. Your clothes are awesome and you make uh, fatty sizes. So I love you guys for that. And lastly, shout out to the entire Sergeant Pepperoni's team for sharing the podcast. Trevor, Jill, I see you guys and what you're sharing on Instagram. You guys are crushing the pizza game in Newport Beach. So if you guys are listening and you're in Orange County or stopping by, go to Sergeant Pepperoni's in Newport Beach. Uh, get their grandma style pizza. That's my favorite. All right, guys, have a beautiful week and I will see you next Thursday. <laughs>